be together. I'm just always grateful that we get to join in any means that we can. In fact, I just got a message from our dear friend, Pastor George Wafula in Kenya. He just sent me a message and he and his family is watching the live stream that we're doing right now. And I, I praise God for that chance to join with our friends, with our dear brothers and sisters around the world to worship Jesus. And we just say to you, George, and to Joy, and all of your children and your church family, we love you. And we have been praying for you that God would sustain each of you in Kenya and so many of our dear friends there. So God bless you. Well, this coming Wednesday, May 27th, SpaceX is set to launch two NASA astronauts into space. Here they are, pictured in their new funky astronaut suits. It, uh, it looks like something more from a sci-fi movie than it does true astronauts, but that's what they look like now. And um, this will be the first space flight to depart from American soil since the space shuttle fleet was retired back in 2011. And if it's given a final go, this is probably what you're going to see by people standing nearby. That's right. Everybody's going to be looking up. They're all going to be peering into the sky. And if you're staring up into space, there's, there's probably a good reason for it. I watched some of you do that when uh, the Blue Angels flew over Atlanta a few weeks ago. But here's the thing. The longer you stare up into the sky, the sillier you look, especially when what you're staring at is no longer there. And that's what happened to the disciples on the day of Jesus' ascension. Let's look at it in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What a glorious event. We celebrated in our calendar just last Thursday, Ascension Day, 40 days after Easter Sunday. I, I heard Tim Keller say there are three events in the life of Jesus that get all the publicity. His birth, Christmas, his death, which we recognize on Good Friday, and his resurrection, of course, Easter Sunday. You can even find greeting cards for each of these three events. But you probably won't find an Ascension Day card at the local Hallmark store. And yet, the Ascension of Christ is hugely important. Uh, St. Augustine put it this way, For unless the Savior had ascended into heaven, his nativity would have come to nothing. 
and his passion would have borne no fruit for us, and his most holy resurrection would have been useless. We need to understand that in Jesus, we get the whole package. Everything he accomplished in his mission to purchase our salvation, the incarnation, his death, resurrection, and the ascension was planned out before the foundation of the world, and he completed it all to perfection. Now, what we've been doing as a church community over these past five Sundays is we've been looking at the resurrected Jesus, and that Jesus, when he rose from the grave, he purposefully stayed around for 40 days. There's purpose in those 40 days. He didn't just break out of the tomb and dart back to heaven. He intentionally met up with his disciples and he addressed their grief and their fear and their, their doubt and their failure. And it wasn't just a few of them. He appeared to 500, 500 of his disciples expanding their understanding of the kingdom and preparing them for mission and promising them the Holy Spirit. In essence, Jesus used these 40 days to say, hey, look guys, my work here is done. Your work is just beginning. And the things Father sent me to do, I've accomplished. That's a wrap. It's time for me to leave but I'm gonna to send to you the Holy Spirit and when he comes, you'll receive his power to be my witnesses everywhere you go. Start first in Jerusalem and then head out to Judea and Samaria and go to the ends of the earth. In these 40 days, Jesus spoke plainly to his disciples about all of this, but it's not like he hadn't been pointing to it all along. There were moments throughout his ministry where there were indicators that this was the plan. Like on the Mount of Transfiguration, one of, one of my favorite stories. Jesus is praying on the, on the top of this mountain and he's brought along with himself three of his, his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. I know, it's kind of a common theme for those guys. But Jesus is praying and they're awakened to see his, his face being radiant. And with Jesus, all of a sudden, are two more men, Moses and Elijah. Now, I don't know how they knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Maybe Jesus had to tell them after it was all over. But there, Moses and Elijah are, are, are fellowshipping and sharing with the Son of God. What a glorious scene. Um, Ern Baxter said, it was like these two had been appointed as delegates from those, all of those who had gone to the grave, who were now waiting for his finishing work and their consummation. What's incredible is that in this exchange, we actually are told what they talked about. And that's amazing. You can see it in Luke chapter nine, verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, this is incredible to me. Uh, they didn't, it didn't say that they spoke about his triumphal entry or his uh, confrontation with the Jewish leaders or the cleansing of the temple or even his sacrificial death and resurrection. Now, those things may have come up, but what we're told is that they spoke about his departure. That must mean it's important. 
Further down in that chapter, chapter 9, verse 51, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Taken up where? Well, to the Father. The ascension was always a part of the plan. And, and Jesus never hid it from his disciples. He spoke to them about it. They had references to it. He's been preparing them for his departure the whole time they've been with him. But even though they should have known, I can't disrespect them for being surprised or finding it hard to conceptualize because I know I wouldn't have done it any better. I don't think any of us would have. And I think that's why Jesus was so kind and, and careful with them, leading right up to his departure. You can see that care in the way uh, that Luke describes it in his other book, the Gospel of Luke. And he said it this way in verse 50 of Luke 24. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I sense the warmth of Jesus in these words. I, I sense his kindness and care that he had for his own. He led them out. He led them out like a shepherd leading his sheep, always. He led them out as far as Bethany, it says. And then what does it say he did? He blessed them. He blessed them. He doesn't curse them for messing up so much. He blesses them. Of course, there had been words of correction, even rebuke over these 40 days, primarily because of their unbelief that he had risen, even though he told them. But Jesus never put on them a curse like he himself had received while hanging on the cross. In fact, Jesus became the curse that we might receive the blessing. I, I imagine that as he's standing there, he would stretch out his hands to all of them and he would probably say something like we read in number six, the ironic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And it was in the middle of that blessing, while he's, he's speaking to them, that he's lifted up and he parts. No wonder they kept looking up. I would be too. I would look up as well. When you think about the ascension, when you think about it, the ascension really has a dual meaning. Of course, Jesus did physically ascend into heaven. It wasn't figurative or, or literary. He was physically lifted into the air and disappeared from their sight. But more importantly, his ascension is one of governmental rule. You see, Jesus was ascending to the throne from which he came. And by ascending to that throne, all the rights and privileges that Paul spoke about in Philippians 2, that Jesus himself had laid aside in order to become a man, all of those things returned to him. And he now reigns as sovereign over all, over all that is in heaven where God is and all that is in the universe creation that he created. 
he ascended back into the Father's presence. And it, it wasn't just geographical relocation. It was the resumption of sovereign rule. He's in charge. Maybe I could explain it like this. If you were given permission, or maybe you could get past the security guards at Buckingham Palace, if you could do those things, you could physically walk into the throne room and up to the throne, which is an ornate chair elevated on a platform, and in so doing, you would, in theory, be ascending to the throne. But we know that's not what it means to ascend to the throne. Just because you might be able to physically climb steps doesn't mean you have the right to. I I like the movie, The King's Speech, which kind of portrays this, right? If you've seen it, Lionel, who is a speech therapist working with Bertie, who is also King George VI, and he's working with Bertie to overcome a debilitating stammer in his speech. And so they are practicing for Bertie's coronation up on a platform in Westminster Abbey. And Lionel stuns Bertie by sitting down on St. Edward's chair. Now, this is a no-no. This is a, a sacred piece of furniture. It's the 13th century wooden throne upon which every English monarch for the last 800 years has sat as they were crowned amidst the regalia. But Lionel, he just plopped down on it. (laughs) And the king looked at him incensed and said, you can't do that. Lionel did, but he really can't. He couldn't sit there. We all know why. Because while he might spatially be able to ascend the platform and sit on a chair, He hadn't the authority to ascend the throne. That was reserved for Bertie. When Jesus ascended into heaven, it wasn't just a physical ascension because he was able. It was a governmental ascension because he was worthy. The Apostle Paul, he picked up on this theme when he wrote to the Ephesian church and he shared with them how he'd been praying for them. And it's, a, it's amazing, a passage, especially that first chapter of Ephesians. I'm just going to pick up in the middle of what he's been praying for these believers in Ephesus. Ephesians 1 verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. I love this passage. The same work is what Paul is saying that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. That same work is working in us. It's working in us that our eyes of our hearts could be enlightened, that we could know the hope that he's called us to, that we could know the riches of his glorious inheritance, and that we could understand the immeasurable greatness of his power. That's power working in us. But this this being seated at the right hand of the Father is a really big thing. It's, It's a major theme throughout Scripture. 
You'll see it. It's actually a major doctrine of the church. And though I don't like to talk big theological terms, I think this is a really cool one, and I think you'll enjoy it. This doctrine is called the session of Christ. Session. It's an archaic word that means literally sitting. But it's grown to realize that it's not just sitting down. It refers to sitting with purpose such as sitting in a teaching session, or a court or a council being in session, or Congress when it's in session purposefully and supposedly handling the people's business. But the most important session of all is the session of Jesus Christ as King. And his ascension is what inaugurates this session. You find this theme throughout scripture. Like when King David prophetically spoke it in Psalm 110, he said, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then we also affirm it when we recite the Apostles' Creed saying, he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God. What it really boils down to, what it means for us is really quite straightforward and simple. Jesus is the ascended king and he is in session. Jesus is in session. He's holding court. He didn't take the day off. He is ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father right now. There is no separation from his rule and our experience He is over it all. So what does that mean? Well, when your troubles seem insurmountable, you need to remember the ascended king is in session. And when the evil of our day seems to be winning, which it's not, but it seems that way, you need to remember the ascended king is in session. And when all of humanity's collective brilliance runs out and we we can't solve the problems we've created by our own sin, we need to remember the ascended king is in session because King Jesus is in session. We didn't suffer the loss of his intimacy and care. We just got more of it. And while those first disciples were staring up into the sky, thinking this meant he was going to be absent, because the king is in session, it really meant that he would always be present. For his ascension was not the loss of a relationship or of his leadership or of his protection. It was the magnification of it. For King Jesus is in session. Because he ascended both physically and governmentally. His head, once crowned with thorns, is now crowned with glory. Because he ascended, both physically and governmentally, we not only have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, but one who is also making intercession for us and pouring out his grace upon us and encouraging each of us to draw near to his throne. So you see, his ascension is an absolute necessity of our Christian faith. 
planned out like all of the other accomplishments of Jesus, and it reminds us of where he is today. He's in session. And it motivates us to be his witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit and to continually pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Our tradition in these virtual times has been to have my wife come and join us, and she will right now, and share what the Lord has been speaking to her, and then we're going to pray for you as we close this morning. I really love that word, session. Um, I think for the first time, I really understand dominion in that context. Um, in Matthew, it says of Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then if we go back into the Old Testament, Daniel says he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. Mm. And his kingdom is one that cannot be destroyed. Mm. Praise God. What really struck me as Chris was sharing was it's his authority that whole package, dominion, session, all that that means, his government, is why we can believe on him. It's why we can trust and not be afraid. It's why we can get direction and provision, the things that we talked about in the testimony time this morning. It's why we can have forgiveness of sins, which is what Patrick was teaching us about in the Kingdom Kids today. But even more importantly, his dominion, his session, the fact that he is on the throne is why we can be ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. Yes. And it's why we can extend the kingdom of God here. Because if he were not the king, we wouldn't have any of the things that would be required to extend the kingdom. That's right. But because he is a reigning king, we actually can. He wants us to. He he works in us so that we can. He provides through us. He prompts us by the Holy Spirit to do it. When Jamie and Kathy showed up on the Latoni's doorstep at just the right moment. Yes. God was orchestrating all of that as the king. Yes. And when we receive him as the king, we get to get in on that good stuff. That's right. um, and I am, I am exercised. I want to pray for us this morning that we can be king's kids. Yes, that's good. And that we can, we can do what he says. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this vision of the kingdom in terms that are super practical and not so big and lofty that we can't get it. Thank you that in every aspect of the service today, you've been saying the same thing to us. That's right. In every way, yes. you are the king. You are in session. And we can throw all of our cares upon you because of that. Hmm. You're big enough. You can handle it. We can give you our cares. We can give you our failures. We can give you our sin, Lord. Hmm. You are powerful. Yes. You are in charge. You are good. And we can believe on you and receive the full benefit of your kingship. And as we receive that, you say to us, go, therefore, 
and make disciples. There's a, there's a come unto me and a go and do what I've said balance all the time. And the only place we're going to find that perfect balance is in acknowledging that you are king, that you can rule and overrule in our lives in any way that you choose. And because you're good, we can trust you. We can trust you to lead us as the king. Yes. So, Father, I ask that for each of us today that are hearing these words, that are hearing this call, that we would bow our knee, Hmm. that we would confess that Jesus is Lord. Yes. Lord in our lives, Lord on the throne, Hmm. Lord in charge, Hmm. and that by making that confession publicly to somebody today, that the truth of it would come exploding in our hearts again as though it's the first time we've heard those words. Jesus is in session. And that we would be able to bring our petitions before the throne knowing that he's there. That we would be able to hear his voice Mm -hmm. through the Holy Spirit and respond like he is king. That you would be pleased with our obedience, with our faith-filled response. And that by being obedient, we would say loudly and clearly with our lives that you are the king. Yes, you are. Lord, help us when we stare into space, when we should be serving you as your witnesses under the power of Mm. the Holy Spirit. Help us to not look at the wrong place, but to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, seeing him as the reigning and ruling king, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, who is ever making an intercession for us. Yes. And who on occasion stands when he sees the things he likes that are happening. Like when Stephen was coming to glory and Jesus stood. Lord, help us see you as you really are. Mm. Because when we do, it will help us understand whose we really are. Yes. Thank you for this church community and for our ability to love our neighbors. Mm. To be light and salt in our community. Help us, O Lord, to be your witnesses throughout this week. And into this summer, Lord, that we would demonstrate the power and and glory of God to all those that we meet. Yes. We bless you now and thank you for this time we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you. Yes, we do. The Lord bless you.